You're listening to episode 112 of the 360 Vegas podcast. Check out the blog at 360vegaspodcast.com or send us an email at 360vegaspodcast at gmail.com. Day after tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pool's the casino. Big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? On a camel. They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. This is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we've, uh, yeah. we've, we've hung out a couple of times, but I've never had the opportunity to spend as much time Maybe this is kind of weird to even say, but want to like spend as much time as I wish I could have with you. Like we've we, we share. There aren't a whole lot of people, and there's no way I can say this that doesn't sound narcissistic. But there aren't a whole lot of people that I can sit down and have an extended, intelligent conversation about Vegas history with, and you just happen to be one of those people. So it's one of That's those really things cool. where we can just chat for hours, and, and I'm like, oh, Dave, you got you gotta go, you gotta go. I'm like, yeah, I've been here four hours, Dick. I gotta go. <laughs> It is really great to talk to people like you who have a passion for this stuff and really care about it. And it's kind of hard to believe, but, you know, being in Las Vegas, a lot of people don't really value this stuff so much. So it's refreshing to, to find people who do. Yeah, you've talked about that, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but it, it blows my mind how people, and maybe it's the whole implosion, rebuild, replace, forget the past kind of a concept, but... The, the history that, that's happened in this area, I'm basically a barren wasteland has created the number one vacation destination on the planet, and it, they just don't want to detail their history very well, and which is why it's awesome. We have a person like you who's doing that and several others, and you know I try to make my tiny contributions. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are kind of caught up in the moment, so they're busy doing what they're doing now, and they don't really want to know so much about what happened before. Right, but we're losing uh, at least first-hand experience with the past is the problem now. Yeah, it is. But, you know, hopefully folks stay interested and we can remember. Absolutely. Hey, complete side tangent. Are you sure. aware of this San Francisco Bat Kid thing? Yes. Oh, my God, that yes. is the cutest thing ever. Yeah. I'm so cynical about the majority of, of mankind, but that kind of thing, it just... If, for those of you who don't know, the quickest synopsis I can make of this. So Make-A-Wish Foundation helps out this five-year-old who's been battling leukemia. San Francisco gets together. They say, uh, you know, his, his dream is to be Batman. So they don't just dress him up as Batman or whatever. No, no, he, he works with, you know, a full-size Batman who drives him around in the Lamborghini Batmobile. And he has to, like this whole city, like the whole city's involved. In it. There's thousands of people involved in this whole thing. And he has to stop crime. He has to beat the Riddler. He's got to beat the Penguin. You know, the mayor uh, uh, gives him the key to the city. It's just this whole giant thing for this kid. And you're like, wow. So it's, it's. I don't know. I could gush it about that. It just shows what you can do if you are exactly if you want to. Exactly. Yeah, it shows people can really do great things if they want to. Yeah. All right. But we actually do a Vegas show, so we should probably yeah, do, we do that. Yeah, we do. There you go. So uh, tell, tell everyone how I'm, how I'm here with you doing this. I, I don't know. What, what, 
what prompted you to want to be on this show? It's not, I, I don't know if this is a, this is an upgrade for you. I think I'm the only one getting the benefit out of this. I thought, you know, it's fun. I, I listen. I, you know, I don't listen to every single one, but I listen to, you know, kind of sporadically, like most things, just because it's hard to find time during the day where I can sit and actually process this. And right, it's, a, right. it's a great show. You guys do do great stuff. And uh, when you offered the chance to come on and talk, I said, great, because if there's one thing I like doing, it's about Las Vegas with people. So <laughs> that, that's why I'm here. Well, there you go. <laughs> All right, so first things we want to do is wish Mirage a happy 24th birthday. They opened November 22nd, 1989. I still think that property is gorgeous. I hope it always at least, because I still think, you know, obviously it's in the mid-tier at this point, but I think it's kind of like the coup de gras of the mid-tier, and I, I really hope that it, it stays that. Although, it's, it's Vegas. Yeah, it's, it's never going it, to. <laughs> you know, it's in the mid-tier, but I think people get so jaded here. I think in any other city, this would still be such a show-stopping property. Absolutely. I think people forget that. You know, well, the rooms are too small and, and all that. Well, yeah, but it's still a really nice property. It's still laid out. I think it's laid out really well, so yeah, still a great property. I, that, that's one of the complaints that always amuses me when people want to bring up something about the size of the room. It's like, how much time are you spending in that room? I mean, it, it, yeah. it's the bed and the shower and the bathroom. I think you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, generally, I think when you compare it to other cities, it's pretty decent size, so... You know, well, what are you going to do? Yep. Okay. Random Vegas. Yes. The red discard trays at Vegas card tables are used as filters to catch cheaters using inks or dabs to mark cards. We got that from Pulse of Vegas. I had no idea. I think I thought it was just like a pretty color that they put over the side that kind of looked cool. But then again, it is Vegas. It's like everything they do has a, there's thought, a whole lot of thought behind it. Yeah, and people really like to cheat a lot. That's one thing that I've, I've learned back when I did surveillance back in the day and keeping in touch with uh, some folks doing surveillance now is that there's a lot of cheating going on that we don't find out about because wild. they keep it pretty quiet. You might remember like maybe a year, 18 months ago, there was that huge thing at the Cosmopolitan where it came out. Oh, yeah, some guys uh, stole a million dollars in a box. Thing at Cosmo when they oh, stole yeah, yeah, another yeah, 200,000 from GM and yeah, but just forget about it. It's not important. Right. <laughs> so that's how that's how it is a lot of the time. It's just that oh yeah, yeah this happened and we are pressing charges, but uh, we don't really need to talk about it. Right. So it's still going on. <laughs> Let's uh, no 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 look over here look over here. <laughs> yeah yeah. So there's a lot of that happening. There's there's still a lot of that happening. People are still cheating a lot. But the good news for the casino people are still getting caught. I know right. So don't try it. Do not try it. That's people always, always ask me that when they. When I tell them what I do, they say, oh, yeah, can you tell me how to win? I said, absolutely. You can cheat. <laughs> Guaranteed to win. But if you get caught, you will be put in the black book and you will be prosecuted and go to jail. Right. So do it. So, yeah, you could win, but you shouldn't win. Right. <laughs> okay, let's do the Vegas Mate review of the week. All right. This week's review is Kevin's November 9th review of Shania Twain at Caesars Palace. He gave it five out of five chips. Kevin says... Awesome show worth every dollar. Wish I could have had front row seats. That's the one thing about Vegas that intrigues me, and we're kind of there with Karen and I. As far as shows go, I mean, we've we've enjoyed a lot of shows in Vegas, but it's not really the primary thing I go for. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if we go to a show every trip, but we're kind of to that point now where we've seen our favorites, and now we're trying to go, what should we see? Like, front row? I mean, what would it be like? You know, specifically, specifically, you really want to see love right up front. There's a specific element in that show that we've always been higher up so you get a completely different point of view if you were lower and i i desperately desperately want to try that but i get the impression 
I think it's just, you, you almost get spoiled to the concept of you're in this amazingly intimate venue, even at the Coliseum. And it's like, mm -hmm. you're that close. It's like, wow, what would it be like even closer? I don't know. That's, that's one of the reasons I like that review. Yeah, says it all right there. Right. <laughs> says it all. And if you're just browsing around and need your Vegas fix, I find reading the Rate Vegas reviews are great because it just shows you everything that's going on and it shows you what people really think. <laughs> Always a different perspective there, which is fun. <laughs> Whether you agree or you don't agree. I agree. That's um, why it's part of the show. I, I, I used to read them all the time anyway, and I'm like, I'm reading these. Why don't I just share the ones I find the most amusing? Yeah. That, I think, leads us into the twit pick of the week. Yep. This week was one of the most difficult weeks I can recall to choose a winner. Properties were selling their latest deals with loads of quality picks in tow. I had listeners who were vigilant and sharing a bunch of really great photos. So I had to go with the most unique picture I saw. It's, it's one of those pictures that captures the one angle you didn't even know existed of a place you've seen dozens of times in dozens of angles. So... This week's winner is at Neon Vacation for a photo of a collection of Vegas property icons. Starting South Strip, looking north, in one picture, he captured the Luxor Obelisk, the Chrysler Building, and a few of the other skyscrapers at New York, New York, Mandarin Oriental and Veer at City Center, and Cosmopolitan. Now, I love the ironic juxtaposition of seeing an obelisk in the foreground of an iconic replica of a skyscraper and three other buildings designed and built in the 21st century all in the same picture. This, this picture is just another example of why I love Vegas. There's no other place like it in the world. You, just, you can just enjoy so many unique experiences in one place. I love it. And it really shows you that evolution and the fact that back, you know, I don't know, let's say back in 2005, mm -hmm. we all thought of Luxor, New York, New York as the new Vegas and oh, it's, you know, taken over from the old Vegas. And now Luxor is old Vegas. Right. You know, if you look, you look at I'm looking at the picture right now with Mandarin Oriental there. It's like, huh, mm -hmm. what's this stuff here? Hmm. So yeah. it's, it's really funny. But somehow the Luxor and the New York, New York just look more like Vegas to me. I Mandarin Oriental still does not look like Vegas to me. No, I totally agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. So as always, we'll link to it on the blog and put it on our Flickr page and feature it on our Facebook page, Twitter header, and the enhanced version of the podcast. So with that all done, let's get into the news. The first headline here, which is... News from one of Las Vegas's most bloated sources that Zarkana is temporarily closing. <laughs> it was announced this week that at the end of December, Cirque will close Zarkana and retool the production. While most of the show will stay the same, Cirque plans to lighten up the dark and mysterious theme with some comedic elements. So basically, getting rid of everything that I thought was unique and interesting about it. <laughs> Zarkana is the story of a magician on a quest to reclaim his loved one and his powers after losing the former affected the latter. In an attempt to fight off rumors that a retool was being done because attendance was poor, Cirque issued a statement clarifying that the show already had plans to go dark for the first two weeks of January, and Cirque is always constantly tweaking their shows and constantly evolving. Now, the problem with that is, in an interview back when Zarkana was announced to be replacing Viva Elvis at Aria, a spokesman for Cirque said that Zarkana had undergone subtle reimaginings in a number of areas during its runs in Manhattan, Moscow, and Madrid without having to shut down. Now, to defend Cirque, 
this story was written by Robin Leach, who may have just been having a slow news week and decided to pick on the show by insinuating problems like this because it replaced the only failed Cirque show in Vegas, Viva Elvis. Plans are to reopen in February. Have you heard if they're if they're having attendance issues at Zarkana? I've not. I've not. But I'm just trying to imagine how they can reimagine it. What which which direction they can take it in? Yeah, they said something about clown elements or something. Uh, that may have been somebody mocking it or something. I don't know. I, I hope they don't tinker with it too much. There was something I loved about the concept, and I haven't seen it yet. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. But something about the concept of of just a darker cirque that really attracted me. I don't know. Just from the name and just watch, seeing the name, because I was thinking, is it Zarkana, Zarkana? And then I just hit on Zarkansaw. <laughs> Reimagine it as set in Arkansas. Or any Atlantic City native listening know the way Arkansas is pronounced in Atlantic City is Arkansas. <laughs> so we have, we, uh, we have an Arcan- Arkansas Avenue that I grew up hearing pronounced Arkansas. So it could be uh, Zarkansas. Nice. There you I go. Do have to Problem say, solved. That would make it Problem a little solved. more horrific to me if this was all based in Zarkansas. <laughs> yeah, it would, be, it would be unique, though. It would be totally different. But the thing I like about it is that you've got... Zarkana, Zarkana, and Aria, which people keep pronouncing Aria. So it's like, who, such a great synergy, as they say. I mean, and I say this as somebody who, and I don't know how many people know this, but somehow my office number, when you do some Google search for the Aria front desk, the top hit you get is my office number. <laughs> And I've tried to replicate this, and every time every time this happens, I ask the person, well, how, what were you looking for? They just said, well, I was looking for it on the computer. And I've tried multiple search engines, I've, and I don't know how they're doing this. Although somebody did send me a link that got me to the, to the site where it is. I still don't know how you get this to come up number one. You know, it's just funny when getting calls, is this the area? And the person's like, what are you talking about? What, what, what area? What are you talking I know, about? Right? And then I realized, oh, they want the, your front desk. We so have it's really, plenty it's of really areas funny. here, sir. So you're going to have to be a little yeah. more specific. Are you at the area? Well, I mean, an area. Is that really so, the demographic? Yeah. So I, I kind of uh, feel like I have a connection to the property. <laughs> is that really so, the demographic they were going for? The people who can't even pronounce the four letters in their, in their primary name? But, as long as they can pay for it. It reminds me, it reminds me of Steve Wynn, how, how upset he got with uh, Encore, you know, when it was during the recession. He's like, I, I didn't build this property for these people. It's like, whoa, everybody's got money there, Mr. Mr. Wynn. <laughs> they're all yeah. giving it to you. Except the people bringing in the, bringing in the 12 facts. <laughs> right. Next headline, gaming options at, at a 10-year low. And this is a story I know a little bit about. I talked to the reporter as he was writing it. And he used a lot of the data we have on the UNLV uh, gaming site. So I'd love to hear what you think of this. Awesome. Vegas Inc. reported that the Strip has 13,000 fewer slot machines and a couple hundred less table games than it had a decade ago. This despite opening five new resorts, Wynn, Encore, Palazzo, Aria, and Cosmopolitan in that time frame. What the article didn't mention is the fact that the Strip also lost three properties, the Frontier, the Stardust, and the Sahara, during the same time frame, but you know, it's still a net gain of two properties for the Strip. Now, while the economy, as always, is one of the reasons pointed to, the story did acknowledge two other contributing factors that I'm inclined to believe are far better barometers. One reason is technology. Slots now have the ability to offer multiple games and or multiple denominations, therefore requiring less machines to be on the floor to satisfy customer demand. The other reason is the change in taste in Vegas. This isn't just a gambling mecca anymore. You can find that almost all over the place anymore, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. 
now you come for the atmosphere. Well, I've always come for the atmosphere, but the atmosphere, the clubs, the dining, drinking, gambling, it's, it's the adult Disney World. Regardless of the reason, the reduction in gaming options must be what customers want because Vegas had record attendance last year, just under 40 million. But I've always suspected if you add up all the revenue services, you'll see people spending the same amount of money or close to the same amount of money, but just not in the same old places. But then again, I'm making that claim with absolutely no information to back it up whatsoever. But what do you think? I mean, has gambling become the loss leader in Vegas now? I mean, if we pool everything together, are these properties still making any money? Or, I mean, is this, I don't know, what, what do you think? It's, it's going in a weird direction, I'll tell you what. Pretty much here's the whole history in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. So back in the 50s, the thing that drove the city was pretty much craps. The big action was happening at the craps table. That's where you have the big players, which is probably somebody who would be losing like maybe five to ten thousand dollars a weekend a trip that was a big that was a big player back then right there wasn't as much money now that starts to change you know then in the 60s blackjack becomes big then starting in the 70s there's a switch to slots and in the 80s this really speeds up after the recession in the early 80s they really try to broaden the the pool and they say well instead of going for a couple of big players you know instead of having a hundred big players in a weekend we're going to use a circus circus model and have in 5,000 people who lose 100 bucks each and make it up that way. So that's really the way the city was going for a while. Mm -hmm. Then they went more upscale, but they're still going for that mass market. Mm -hmm. The recession really screwed that up because suddenly people didn't have all that extra income. They weren't getting these huge home equity loans mm -hmm. and they just couldn't afford to come to Vegas and spend as much money. They were still coming, but they weren't spending as much money. Mm -hmm. So really most people's gambling wallets really shrank. Mm -hmm. What's been keeping the city alive since 2005 is the Asian high rollers. So you've seen this real divergence where on one hand you've got Baccarat is bigger than ever. It's about 20% of the strip's total revenues. Keeping in mind that this stuff mostly happens in about six casinos. So it's really concentrated. So in a lot of casinos, the, the gambling revenue is nowhere near what it was mm -hmm. before. So that's, that's the big problem. And it's kind of cool. A lot of the story is based on a report that we put out called Nevada's Gaming Footprint. I update it periodically. And you can really see how the number of slot machines has shrunk mm -hmm. in the state. And yeah, mostly, and there's a quote I have in here, it's mostly because of the introduction of technology and multi-denom machines. Mm -hmm. You don't need as many machines. And because they have to pay a quarterly tax on the machines, if they can have less machines but get the same money, they want less machines. Right. Plus, the machines are expensive. They're about 20 grand each. Right, right, so right. they're trying to save money. What do you think of the new generation of gamer? The, the person that's grown up with the Nintendo, the Sega, the PlayStation, the Xbox, do real slots exist in 50 years? Personally, I don't think so. The one thing that I will play is video poker. Mm -hmm just because it's cool and because I can try to get the elusive royal flush and I've never gotten. Yep. Regular slots, it's just a bunch of symbols in there and it doesn't really do too much for me, especially because there's other ways you can gamble. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a huge gambler myself. I do it very, very casually mm -hmm. and not for a lot of money because I don't make a lot of money. Right. So I just know what interests me and that doesn't totally interest me. And I think that's the same thing for a lot of people in that demographic, you know. I don't know, and once I can do it on my phone or on my other mobile device, I don't know why I'm going to want to drive, sit in this big air-conditioned building, breathing on other people's cigarette smoke, <laughs> pressing buttons in a terminal, right. when I could do the same thing. Now, table games, 
yeah, you know, I'm not going to be able to shoot craps or play Baccarat on my phone. Right. It's not going to be the same. Right. So I think table, and actually I'm giving a presentation to this table games conference next week, next week, and this is one of the big things I'm going to talk about. You know, table games, I think, are going to be doing much better. And if you look at Nevada, table games are doing way better proportionally than slots were. Mm -hmm. You know, slots, slot revenues have fallen, table games, and I, eh, I'm not going to punch up the PowerPoint. Um, but basically, <laughs> the tables are, I guess, I, but actually, hang on a sec. So awesome. The thing that I think about slots is that is kind of like your your starter. Like, I'm I'm a bit, while, while I'm outgoing, you know, or I've got an outgoing personality, I'm also very reclusive. I have to be in, in an element where I want to be sociable to be as sociable as, as I can be. Otherwise, I just want you to leave me alone. And slots really helped to fill that when I first started coming to Vegas because at the time, and you and I are very similar in that in that case. I mean, I, I'm there to play the game. I'm not trying to win money. I came, I'm spending this much to play these games, and that's how much I'm going to pay to play these games. So the less it costs me to play these games is just cooler. you know. And if I end up actually getting money on top of it, I'm like, how did this happen? Yeah. Slots has always been that starter, but it feels like... You know, once you kind of get past the shyness of, of a table game, then slots seem boring. It's one of the things I've talked about with WMS Gaming before, and actually with all the uh, the big three, the Bally's and, and IGT, is that, you know, they're making games. And, and there's a reason why bonus rounds have become more and more important, because you're trying to get... I mean, at this point, people who were purchasing PlayStations, Sega, and, and whatnot... They're in their late 30s, early 40s now. This is your target demographic or where you mm -hmm. need to start paying attention to. You're not going to keep them with slots. If you still, if slots still want to remain dominant, they've got to come up with far more interactivity because watching those reels go, and, and I, I've dealt with this firsthand, to the point where I do all this research and I learn about the bonus rounds and I learn about all this, everything else except the bonus round bores me. Everything. It just so annoys me that I have to wait for the bonus round to start. You would think that them doing this much research and customer behavior, they would just make the bonus round the game. Yes. I don't do a lot of, I can't say I'm some kind of consumer behavior expert, but <laughs> one of the things I do is I give talks about Las Vegas and Las Vegas history. So I started off giving very standard talk. This is the first casino, blah, 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 blah. And I noticed, I gave like two or three of them, and I noticed in the questions, everybody was asking about two things, Bugsy Siegel and counting cards. <laughs> So for the fourth talk, I'm like, shit, this talk is going to be about Buck Siegel and counting cards with a couple other little things mixed in. And people loved it. Mm -hmm. So you, I'm like, well, if I'm spending 20 minutes talking about this in the question period, I should be spending 20 minutes talking about this in the actual presentation. And then they'll like the presentation more. So it's kind of, for me, it's the same thing with slots where like, hey, if everybody just wants to play the bonus round, make the bonus round on the game and that'll be it. And well, here's my number for saying how tables are doing better than slots, okay. right? And this is a total gambling statistics nerd observation. Oh, I'm on, I'm on, I'm literally standing. I'm not even on the edge of my okay. seat at this point. <laughs> since, okay, so since 2005, before the recession, slots have seen a 2% net decrease in win per unit. Hmm. So the average slot machine is making about $2 less per unit per day in 2013 than it was in 2005, despite the fact that, they, that there's about 14% fewer slots since 2005, mm -hmm. and despite the fact that there's been inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Table games have about a 20% net increase in win per unit per day. So that number of table games has shrunk a little bit, but they're making about 
about $300 more per table per game on average throughout the state of Nevada. Uh So to me, that says that tables are really holding their own. Slots are, are, are weakening. It's the interactivity. Once you get past being shy or being intimidated, it's you, you crave the interactivity. I mean, I, I went from slots to craps and then to blackjack. You know, it's like each one becomes more of an intimate experience. And I, like once you get past the shyness, you crave that. You want that interaction. It's, it's a game that makes more sense. To your point with video poker, that was actually I think it was slots to video poker was was my transition. But video poker and blackjack, like you make educated decisions, smacking that button after a while just gets boring. Yeah, and you want to feel like you're doing something, and I think that's the direction they're heading in. Probably somebody who's not in the industry now is going to do something that's going to change everything, and they'll figure it out. Another thing that I think is really interesting and cool is that there's a new head of the American Gaming Association, Jeff Freeman, Mm -hmm. who's in his 30s, and he's asking these same questions and trying to figure out where the industry is going to go and how to get it there. So it's interesting that the leadership of the industry is starting to wake up to this a little bit. Good, good. So all that being said, let's move on to the next item, which is Circus Circus, now offering a red light special. <laughs> I don't know why we Very didn't special. see this coming, Dave. <laughs> 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 Lytle Vegas reported that Circus Circus has set up red flashing lights as part of a new promotion in their party pit. When the lights go off, anyone who hit a blackjack during that time get paid out double. Now, the lights go off at random times during the afternoon and into the evening until 11 p.m. The only real caveat is it does require a minimum $10 bet, and you, of course, have to play at Circus Circus. Yeah. <laughs> I've never thought that these kind of things attract people to play. I think it might encourage the people who are already at your property to play a little bit more, but it doesn't. Like, Dollar Blackjack at Sahara drew me down there once so I could see it. And if there was an opening of the table, I probably would have played it a little bit. I mean, this was at the beginning of my introduction into blackjack, but I, I don't honestly believe it draws people to your property. It, it, it might, and maybe that's really what they're trying to do, anyways, is just get the people who are there to keep playing. But I don't know. Now, the interesting thing, turning back everything we just said in the last news item there, this comes directly from slot machines. This is directly off of a slot bonusing system that you can get where you can do random bonuses. Mm-hmm. It's been around for, I think it was first developed as the Phantom Slots at Harris Atlantic City back in the 80s. They were doing a lot, a lot of this in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. where you would enter a certain time and when the Phantom would strike, you would get extra bonuses and stuff. <laughs> so it's interesting that it's crossed over from, from slots to table, this kind of bonusing. So, hey, good, good for them. And uh, hopefully it is... Not 6-5 Blackjack. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I guess Probably we'll find no. out. They're like, hey, they got to pay for their lights, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. And then what better what better place for this than the casino that uh, Jay Sarno founded with oh. the red lights and all. I'm sure he would, he would love that. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and going from red light districts in family-themed casinos to family-themed movies at a hipster casino <laughs> is the Cosmopolitan has released their holiday movie schedule. That is a top-quality transition there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Doing my best. <laughs> to complement their ice rink at the Boulevard Pool, Cosmopolitan has released its holiday movie schedule. Now, just like during the summer, the movies will be on Mondays. They'll be starting November 25th with Grumpy Old Men and Plane Trains and Automobile. December 2nd is going to be A Christmas Story and Polar Express. December 9th is Home Alone and Christmas Vacation. December 16th is Miracle on 34th Street and It's a Wonderful Life. And December 23rd is Elf and White Christmas. What's your favorite Christmas movie? 
Oh my god, I think out of these, I've only, I don't even know which ones I've seen. <laughs> it's, I think it's A Wonderful Life. Polar Express, I thought was, had something to do with was the... Oh, thing. I thought it was creepy. It's, it freaked me out. I've never seen it. I thought, of, I just from the name, I thought it was about a drug deal gone bad or, I think or something. I thinking of Pineapple Express. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I got, I got, I lost the memo there. I thought it was, I thought it was a drug deal. Polar Express, people are like, damn uh, it! <laughs> yeah, It's A Wonderful Life is pretty cool. I like that one. I will say, out of all these movies, my the favorite, my favorite single scene in any of them, planes, trains, and automobile, mm -hmm. automobiles, where uh, you know you're going the wrong way. How do they know which way we're supposed to go? <laughs> uh, Freaking love that scene. Oh, I can watch that forever. Uh, I'm one of those psychopaths that will watch a Christmas story over and over and over when uh, TBS starts playing it, just back to back to back <laughs> to back. I don't know why. And, I, and I, I, sh I feel like I should be ashamed about it, but I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> uh, showtimes have not been released, nor have prices. However, odds are they'll be the same as their dive-in movies. Doors will open at 7, movie will start at 8. Admission will be free to guests at the property, $3 for everyone else. If it's anything other than that, we'll let you know. Cool. So that's the news, and now we have prop bets, which is the rapid-fire slot bonus rounds of news. Kick us off. Okay, so uh, our good friends over at Vital Vegas reported the Golden Nuggets new bar, the stage bar, is now open. It's a slushy and beer outpost, but offers a 32-ounce souvenir drinking vessel that looks like the Welcome to Las Vegas sign, <laughs> and that is going to cost you $18. Well, I know where $18 is going the next time I'm going to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> I don't that, know why that. I have to have stupid things like that. I, I don't. I, it's not like they ever get used again. It's just kind of <laughs> like, yeah, I had that drink. So, so let me tell you something. Yeah. This this was a couple years ago. Flying from Vegas to Philly, me and my wife grabbed the wrong suitcase, and it. I still don't know how somebody else had the exact same thing because it was a pretty obscure thing. I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get back to the house in Atlantic City, so it's about an hour and a half away, open it up, and I see in the suitcase, wrapped up like it's some kind of family heirloom, <laughs> is one of these souvenir things. And I'm like, holy shit, what went wrong here? So I'm like, uh, honey, did you bring something out? No, like, oh boy, we have somebody else's. But it was just, it was so reverential, the way they wrapped it up. It's like, wow. <laughs> and I think it was from the Orleans or something. No, right, this movie. it was from Fat Tuesday. It was from Fat Tuesday. It was just so, it's like, ah, uh, it was, it was I'm, wild. I'm calling it right now. You and I are writing this movie. Some crazy psychopath is is, is desperately looking for that coveted plastic drink vessel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, wow, this is this really is going to mean a lot to you. So, yeah, <laughs> well, we'll be happy to know after flying the red eye out to Philly, coming back, turned around, drove, you know, drove back from Atlantic City, back to Philadelphia Airport, did the exchange and uh, got our got our stuff, and I guess she got her Fat Tuesday uh, souvenir <laughs> glass back, which is pretty awesome. I love how you tell this like it's a whole like it's a hostage thing. Like, on, all right, so we had to fly over to Philadelphia, and then we had to make the exchange here. There were no police around. I had to come solo. <laughs> well, I had, to, I had to drive all the way back up to Philly from Atlantic City, which is pretty. It's you know if you if you've been up for 24 hours and just flew over in the red eye. <laughs> Not a lot of fun, but I guess it's what you do to get uh, anything to get this woman reunited with her Hot <laughs> Tuesday souvenir glass. You know, anything. You could just see her opening it now and bursting into tears, like, where, where is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Attempting to break into the coveted creepy voyeur market, Downtown Grand will be offering an in-room channel to guests staying at the property devoted totally to the various live cam feeds stationed around their pool area. That I don't see horrific. how this ends, ends well. That that sounds. I don't. I mean, I I get the con. Listen, we're in a world where the majority of television is nothing but faux reality. 
So I get, I get what they're appealing to. That makes me never want to go to that pool. That's just so weird to me. Yeah. So you know, so you know that you're out of the pool, and there's a pretty good chance that somebody's back in the room beating the dealer, watching you out of the pool. <laughs> I don't, don't like the idea. You just you imagine you know catch a predator type people watching this thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't, just, this goes, I don't like this idea. This goes one bit. so dark so quick. <laughs> yeah. So our, our next thing is Vegas Eater is reporting the next dining option in New York, New York, New York to get renovated is going to be Chin Chin. When it's closing, how long it's going to take to renovate, or when it'll reopen, is not known. <laughs> I love how they got this tiny little tidbit of information. I'm like I got yeah. a scoop for you. I'm like, oh, 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 well, give me the details. I'm like, no details. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, or you could wait and give the details, but right. it's a whatever. Just get it out there. Right. Turn it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, Gamers that. can check out the new Xbox One before it's released at the Microsoft retail store at the Fashion Show Mall between Macy's Men's Store and Forever 21 from now until November 21st. Demo access is on a first-come, first-served basis, which basically means you can expect assholes to commandeer it for far too long, and the staff will not do anything about the situation. (laughs) All I know about the store is that they've been flooding the Las Vegas area, threatening to have Pitbull come and I've heard that do a show there. I mean, it's like I can't get away from it, and they're making it like I should be so grateful. It's like, well, I don't, I never asked for this, Microsoft, (laughs) so stop telling me about it. Listen, Dave, you should be really. Do you see what we're doing for you? Like, just pump the brakes there, Microsoft. (laughs) Yeah, like get in. Oh, you can get in now. Come on, please, come (laughs) over. We'll let you in. You know, I'm not, I'm not really, you know, I'm glad you're opening the store. Best of luck, but I'm not really. No thanks. (laughs) Um, So yeah, they're, but they're really into trying to get us there for Pitbull. So I don't know. Oh, speaking of Fashion Show Mall, uh, the new Apple store is now open there as well. Okay, so we have an alert for beer drinkers. East Coast Gambler is reporting that the downtown Grand has nothing in the way of specialty beers, and instead they're sticking with the good old standards. And even the Mob Bar, which just moved there, it's now across the street from the Mob Museum, which used to have craft beers, is now just back to the same old stuff as most everybody else. That's surprising. Do they have a whole lot of special? I mean, obviously they've got, you've got the Chicago Brew Pub or whatever in Four Queens. You've got the, I mean, I guess there's plenty of that down there. I don't know. See, I, when I always think about Cosmopolitan, they're kind of the same thing. It's like you have Book and Stage. And that's where you're going to get all your unique beers. Any mm-hmm. other beer you want anywhere else? Just just the standards. It's weird. I don't, I've always wondered that about places like that, why they don't have a deeper beer selection throughout the property. Because when you're buying it in that quantity, mm-hmm. You know, I don't see how it would hurt you to say, you know, we'll, add, we'll buy a little bit more and get it in some other outlets instead of just one outlet. But I'm, I'm not a food and beverage guy, so I don't know. I'll support your statement right there. One of the first things that drew Karen and I, well, actually not one of the first things. One of the things that caused Karen and I to go back to Palms. We originally went to Palms because I'm a Batman freak and, and Dark Knight Rises uh, had come out. I'd already been in Vegas for like a week and I'm like, I, I can't wait any longer. I have to go see this. And we went there and we were wasting some time and they had Summer Shandy on tap. Nobody had Summer Shandy, even in bottles at that point on the strip, <laughs> which is that lemonade beer. And mm-hmm. I, we ended up going to that property for that, that kind of a thing. Like you'll make hmm. the extra effort as long as I'm having fun there. I mean, obviously they've got, they've got good food. They got a nice casino, you know, but that's the kind of thing. There's a lot of properties that have good food, and nice casinos. It's a little thing like that going, oh, let's just catch a cab for like 10 bucks. We can go hang out here and, you know, get summer shandy as well. So I, I, yeah. I support your, your point. Makes sense. Yeah. Perhaps the equivalent of a property facelift. 
Mirage has replaced the carpet in most of the public areas as well as their gaming chairs. Those of you interested in all the details of this, which surprisingly there are more, will post the link to the Vegas Shatter story. So it seems that our good friends at Vital Vegas never rest. No. Ever. <laughs> Somehow they've captured video of the Fremont Street Experience's new show, which is based on the music of The Who. It's pretty cool. Check it out. I'm a little bit disappointed. I would think it would be the most incredible thing to have Amazing Journey and Sparks from Tommy. Nice. I mean, that would be, that would be, would be so awesome. Yeah, yeah. If you've seen the movie, uh -huh. which is Ken Russell-directed movie from the 70s, the Tommy, probably an acquired taste for some people, but pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And Margaret in the chocolate baked beans thing. Uh, <laughs> might do something for some people. I don't know. Kind of freaky. You got to see the movie to know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's, but it's still cool. It's still the who, so. Right. So go for it. I've never been insanely impressed with, I mean, the Fremont Street experience in and of itself is really cool. I've never been overly impressed with any of the, the, the shows. I mean, I guess there's only so much you can do to that hover over a, a street area, but I'm also a huge, huge fan. And I've said this many, many times, and, and maybe it's just me being a guy that adores Vegas Pass. I, there's something insanely beautiful to me about seeing Fremont Neon in a pitch black sky, and I never had yeah. the opportunity to see that. Yeah, it's to it is totally different. And I'm a, I think to make it really have that experience, you'd have to make the music a lot louder yeah. to give you that emotional oomph, yeah, yeah. which I don't think you can do just logistically. Right, right. So it's kind of, yeah, I don't know. You're not going to get, it'll be nuts, but it's not going to really draw you in. See, the one thing I do like about it, though, and it, it's it's almost a fair trade-off, is that whenever they do the show, they turn off all the lights, and then you get to yeah. watch them turn back on, and that is epic to me. I I love that. I love that more than the show. <laughs> yeah. Caesars recently did a survey feeling out the climate for the new Guy Fiero restaurant coming to the quad, complete with potential logos, and they look about as douchey as the tool himself. I just don't, you know what it is? I, I inherently have an issue with anybody who has become famous not for their primary talent, but for how they look. Like his stupid bleached, spiky hair and beard and like the crazy haired lady or like uh, Gordon Ramsay's famous for being an asshole more than being a, being a chef. That's the kind of stuff that drives me insane. It's like, I will, I've, I've literally barred my wife from eating at any of the Gordon Ramsay places. Like, I will not give you my dollar. I will not do it. You're an asshole. I'm not gonna support you. I don't, I don't care if it's the greatest food ever. You're an idiot, I can't do it. But that's just oh, me. Man. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess some, some people really get into that. I'm so, a bit of a capitalist, um, it, Dave. Uh, I, I believe that yeah. the only real power I have is my uh, yeah. disposable income, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'll <laughs> that'll that'll do it. That'll, that'll do it. But hey, remember the last big survey that Caesar sent out, which was for naming the quad. So remember how well that went. <laughs> so <laughs> what could go wrong? We actually had, I was pretty proud of this today. We had, we got to utilize some of our uh, inside sources. People like, you know, Five Hundy and Vegas Tripping yeah. have been around forever, and they've got whole loads of people all over the place. But we were able to showcase ours. We were able to tweet out four pictures of potential logos that they put out there. And as far as I know, and it's probably wrong, because you know, I, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't follow up on things like that, Dave. <laughs> um, I, I believe we may be the first to have shared those publicly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I saw those. I saw those. That was, that was pretty neat to see. <laughs> so speaking, speaking of neat to see, we've got another four things coming to Vegas. 
Uh, Madame Tussauds, the Venetian, has unveiled their newest addition to the exhibit, and it's four characters from the Avengers. Mm -hmm. It's Thor, Nick Fury, Iron Man, and Captain America. So they'll be in display starting November 20th. I haven't been there in a long, long time, but I do think Madame Tussauds is one of those things that if you've never been to... It's kind of like um, Ripley's Believe It or Not. It's it's one of those things where if you've never done it before, you should do it once because it's kind of cool, but the problem is once you do it once, you're like, man, I kind of know all this. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. I've never <laughs> been inside there. I find I find that stuff so creepy. Oh, it really is. It really it's, is. I can't. Yeah, it's just so incredibly creepy for me. I just don't see the attraction. And I've had the opportunity to go to unveilings and stuff, and I just never, I don't know, I just don't. It doesn't do anything for me. You know what I think really, would really happen? Creepy. Put me off of it forever. Is every once in a while you get some practical joker, you know, like once some celebrity who is pretending to be their wax figure and move. That happens to me once. Never visiting Madame Tussauds again, <laughs> ever. Yeah, I mean, even the the statue people, the Venetian, kind of creeps me out. Oh, and I'll I one hundred percent agree with you. One hundred percent. I always get super nervous anytime you see like the, like the uh, uh, like the gold guy that just stands there, and it's like as I'm walking by, I'm like, please don't move, please don't move, please don't move. Please don't. <laughs> I just, oh, I, and, I'm so with you. Well, for me, and it was the same thing back when the Star Trek experience was open. I don't know how whether to treat them like they're in character. So you know, do I pretend that they're a statue, or you know, back when there was the, you know, I remember back the Star Trek experience. It's the Ferengi guy. I took my mom there. The Ferengi guy comes up, is like, oh, a female, and I, I kind of gave him a dirty look, and he went screaming off. <laughs> like, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to, uh, you know, and the Klingons, you don't know whether to challenge him to combat or whether they'll take you out to the parking lot and kick the shit out of you or something. I, I don't know how to act. That's awesome. So you know, I wish they would just hand you a little card saying, you know, I'm in character. Treat me like I'm in character and whatever. Or just like, you know, man, it, it's a real long day. Just treat me like, you know, like you'd want to be treated if you were working your shift. So I, I love I this idea, Dave. <laughs> it's genius. Because you do, I'm totally with you. Like, you almost want to go up to him and be like, so how, how do we want to do this? Because <laughs> yeah. this is inherently awkward. If we're playing a game, I'm, I'm down for the game. If not, let's just, can we just put it on front street, please? Yeah, I know. So that, one of the things I did back in the day in Atlantic City in the boardwalk is I was Mr. Peanut for a summer. Get the hell out and, of here. Yeah, no, I was. And I'd have people come up to me and try to, you know, first of all, there's not really a lot that you can say and you're in a shell, so you can't really, you kind of have to scream to be heard. <laughs> people try to have conversations with me in character, like, so who's your favorite president? Is it Jimmy Carter? I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> you know. Look, you're sitting there going, I don't know how to answer this or how yeah, to be funny. Like, what, <laughs> so yeah, what, what do you want, you want you know, from me? <laughs> where do you go on vacation? Like, I, you know, it's like. Man, I'm like 19 years old here. Give me a break. Just, right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so you were so. actually allowed to interact with people? I thought every time you got in one of those things, you had to be quiet. People would try to interact. My favorite was this, this dude comes up to me and just says, scare my kid. And the kid was like 10 years old, so he's way too big to get scared by Mr. Peanut. I like, know, right? What? Like, like, what you didn't realize is he had a peanut allergy. <laughs> no, no, it's like, scare my kid. I'm like, what? He's like, what, you can't do it? I'm like, I'll do it. So I'm like, and the kid went running away. <laughs> Wait, yes, I don't know what was going on there. I love that how he was... challenges Mr. Peanut. Like, going, yeah. I'm not sure how aware of the Mr. Peanut brand, but it's not a scary brand. It's not what no. it does. It's not it's, like you were dressed yeah, up scared as the, Freddy Krueger or something. Kid, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, uh, people are into this. Oh, people are into so, this. if you want to get horrified, uh, uh, Madame Tussauds has some new options. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We've got an update to a previous story. Apparently... Holly Madison will only be joining the Million Dollar Quartet for one night, December 4th. She's not becoming a part of the show for a limited run, as we formerly believed. I don't understand the point of that. I mean, I understand 
of course. You mentioned their name, the show's name is in the press a couple times, but for one show, I mean, is it is that really the marketing concept is, let's just say the name a couple times in print and then people will think about the show. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's uh, it's not the days of the Rat Pack anymore and they when they'd come in and you'd see Frank with Dean for, you know, an extended period. So I guess this is the best we have yeah. uh, right now. Speaking of the best we have, <laughs> Hecho in Vegas is the new going to be the new name for Diego at MGM, which has been shuttered. So, starting next week, we're going to have Hecho in Vegas, which is made in Vegas. Um, if you are not a Spanish speaker, <laughs> which for some reason that sounded sound like a very Ron Burgundy type read to me. There. Oh, it was top quality, Dave. You had me. I believe it means made in Vegas in German. So, there you go. We don't know what kind of food they're going to serve, so maybe it will be a German Bratwurst restaurant, Hetchel in Vegas. We don't know. We can only guess. I, I was praying for a flute solo, for a jazz flute solo from you. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. While still not open to the public, Vegas Chatter reported that Fizz, the champagne bar by Elton John's partner at Caesars Palace, it held a private party on Friday. No word on when it will... No word on will it will... God damn it. No word on will... How am I doing it again? Uh, it happens. It happens. No word when it will officially open to the public, but odds are it's got to be soon. I mean, if they're going to have an invitation-only party, it's got to, yeah, they got to be about ready. I'll tell you, you know, what messed me up with this is I got the press release, and for some reason I thought it was Fitz, and I thought it was something from Fitzgerald. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wait, what? They're bringing Fitzgerald's back? Like, it's... Who knew? You know, what? And uh, was way too busy to open up the press release right. and see what the email was about. But that means nothing. So uh, from nothing on to something exciting. That's it for the news. Let's go on to playing Vegas. Vegas is part of the show where we share with you touring acts and artists coming next week in Vegas. Thursday, we've got the Latin Grammys at Mandalay Bay. Show starts at 5. Tickets start at $50. Friday, Drake is at the MGM Grand. Show's going to start at 8 p.m. Tickets start at $124. Friday and Saturday, we've got Ringo Starr and the All-Star Band at the Pearl at the Palms. Show's starting at 8 o'clock. Tickets at $82. And Tim Allen at the Venetian. Show starting at 10 Tickets start at $55. Saturday, Michael Buble. I, for some reason, his last name always sounds drunk when you say it. Yeah. <laughs> but Michael Buble is going to be at the MGM Grand. Show's going to start at 8 p.m. Tickets start at $73. And Kevin James and Ray Romano are performing at the Mirage. Shows starts at 10 p.m. Tickets start at $50. And Saturday and Sunday, REO Speedwagon is at the Orleans. Shows start at 8 p.m. Tickets at $60. So REO Speedwagon coming to town. <laughs> I was going to say, I could, I could feel the manufactured enthusiasm you had there, <laughs> and I appreciated uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for playing Vegas, so let's go on to Vegas Deals. So Vegas Deals is part of the show where we're trying to save you money in your next trip or planning your next trip to Vegas. So first thing is the Excalibur's early bird room deal. 
You get 40% off of rooms and $20 in food and beverage credit. And you know how far that'll go with the Excalibur. I know, right? And it's good. <laughs> it's good now for stays through September 2014. But act now because you've got a book by January 31st. Nice. The Gold Lounge has an open bar Thursday through Saturday from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. $20 for ladies until 3 a.m. and $30 for guys until midnight. Ah, get what they're doing. And every security expert and binge drinking person is cringing at this. <laughs> You know, what could go wrong? Uh, $20 drinks for ladies until 3. What what problems could you have? I do not get open bar in Vegas. I don't get it. It's so easy to get alcohol. That seems like attempting suicide in Vegas to me. I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's weird to me. Um, (laughs) So our next thing is our steak, which another great creative name there for the Riviera. Our steak of the Riviera (laughs) has a happy hour daily from 4 to 6 and again at 9 to 10. You've got things like $6 sliders, mac and cheese, and truffle parmesan fries. Most items are just running between 5 and $6. Subtlety. Subtlety is what Riviera does best there, Dave. <laughs> yeah, they are, are steak. Right. Caesars Entertainment is holding another auction to get rid of all their old stuff. The auction is November 23rd through the 24th, starting at 9 a.m. in Rio's North Warehouse. Vital Vegas reported the items available to bid on include furniture, gaming tables, kitchen equipment, and even a 1998 Lincoln Continental stretch limo with less than 39,000 miles on it. Where the hell has that been, and why do they have it? (laughs) Wow. For those of you interested, there are more details, and we'll have a link on the blog. Okay, and the Chicago Brew Pub's football deal, only in the Four Queens, is going to match your bar tab and free slot play at the property. Deal is good during football games. You know, I remember getting this press release too. So there you go. It's good at football games, Thursday and Saturday to Sunday. Beer tab has to be a minimum of twenty dollars and a maximum of fifty. So a pretty narrow envelope there. <laughs> right. Free play is good only at the Four Queens, and you have to take your Chicago Brew receipt to the Players Club kiosk to receive. In addition to the free slot play, you'll also get $10 in table game match play. I get the impression so you can this whole show is old hat to you. <laughs> I'm like, let me tell you something, Dave. Like, I already know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we can check out all the deals we report on the show at 360VegasDeals.com. And that's it for Vegas Deals. Let's go on to coming attractions. So Coming Attractions is part of the show where we share with you the acts and artists outside of the usual residencies that will be performing in Las Vegas in the future. And first, we have George Strait and Miranda Lambert performing at the MGM Grand Saturday, February 1st, 2014. Show starts at 8. Tickets start at $79. Can I tell you, honestly, there's a lot of times that I put people... Like, I, for me, I don't report everybody. I report people that I either like or are at least familiar <laughs> enough and I know that you know somebody would be interesting. This is one of those ones going, those names sound familiar. <laughs> I, I assume somebody wants this. Yeah. The Eagles are performing at the MGM Grand Saturday and Sunday, February 15th and 16th. Show starts at 8 p.m. Tickets start at $98. As we would say in the Delaware Valley, Philadelphia area, the Eagles. <laughs> Miley Cyrus is gonna is hopefully is gonna make it to the MGM Grand Saturday, March 1st. Show starts at 8. Tickets start at $73. Are you expecting an OD before that? <laughs> oh, God, who knows? Who knows? Cher will be at the MGM Grand Sunday, May 25th. Show starts at 8 p.m. Tickets start at $65. Okay, the Fat Pack, and that's PH Fat. So not like Big Elvis uh, <laughs> impersonators, but the Fat Pack, PH Fat, is going to be at Bally's now that the residency at the plaza has ended. And they start up in the Windows showroom on December 11th. And their shows are Wednesday to Sunday at 4.30. Tickets starting at $35. 
Reverend Horton Heat is performing at Vinyl at Hard Rock Friday, March 28th. Show's going to start at 8.30 p.m. Tickets start at $33. And Larry the Cable Guy is performing at the Pearl of the Palms Friday, January 31st. Show starts at 8. Tickets start at $82. Don't forget you can find links to purchase tickets to these and all the artists we report on our coming attractions calendar on the blog. So let's check the river now. All right, there was no way I was going to have you on this show without talking to you about all the cool nerd things that I love to talk to you about as well as Grandissimo. So that's what we're getting into this week on the river. First off, part of these are all conversations you and I have already have. I just want to make sure that other people are aware of these things because I want to make sure that your level of cool, Dave, is where it should be. And I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to reinforce I'll try. that right now. <laughs> all right, so what I want to ask you first what drew you to doing something academic about casinos? I mean, is it the money they generate? Is it the games? Is it the vibe in the casino? I mean, you've worked in Atlantic City casinos. You, you've, uh, you never worked in any Vegas ones, did you? Mm, no, just consulting. Gotcha, not, gotcha. Not a line employee. So what but, is it that, that brought you, like so many people that bring them just to visit Vegas, that you took it to the next level to, <laughs> to want to become a student of it? Well, you know, it goes back to when I was in grad school and I decided to go to grad school because I did not want to work in a casino for the rest of my life because that's kind of what you do if you're from Atlantic City. So I said, well, you know, this is kind of cool. And, you know, I talk about this with my students at UNLV now. I, I really enjoyed working when I was working in a casino. I really enjoyed the job. Mm -hmm. But I just said, well, you know, when I'm in my 50s, I don't want to be doing this and doing shift work and coming into work at 11 o'clock at night and stuff like that. It, it doesn't seem like what I want to do. So I said, well, you know, going into academia and working nine months a year, and that sounds like fun. So I figured I'd go to grad school and was doing that. And then I found out like, hey, you've got to write a dissertation, which is basically a book. And I'm trying to think of a dissertation topic. And I'm, for some reason, said, well, people haven't written a lot about the history of casinos. Maybe I should write about that. That would be kind of unique. Mm -hmm. So I did, not realizing, well, huh, people don't write about this because a lot of history departments aren't hiring people who specialize in this. <laughs> so I did it, and that was when I got my introduction to special collections at UNLV and the, the gaming collection there, collection um, doing my dissertation research. This was also, so this was 97 through 99. I was coming up. You know, basically my plan was I would leave L.A. at like 5, get up to Vegas around 9, hit the Silverton Buffet, which I think was a two ninety nine breakfast <laughs> buffet. That was So that was my food pretty much for the day. Genius. You know, and then I would spend Tuesdays and Thursdays, special collections was open till 9, so I'd pretty much be in there from like 10 to 9, just nonstop doing research for the dissertation. So that was... That was how I did it um, a couple times. You're describing a dream of, of mine. <laughs> I would love really to get cool. in there and just start thumbing through loads of things. Yeah, just going through the oral history interviews and stuff. I'm like, hey, you know, what was it like to be a cocktail waitress back in 1960? Well, here's somebody who's talking about it. So it was really cool. And that's my first book, Suburban Xanadu, came, has a lot of that stuff in it, although all, all my stuff now does. So then I uh, got my PhD, went in the job market. You know, history departments pretty much gave me the finger universally like right, yeah, right. no you know you suck this topic sucks right uh, it's not gonna happen so i went back to atlantic city with my phd in history and 
got a job in surveillance, just kind of doing that, figuring, well, I'll see what happens next. Because yeah, yeah. it was either that or work, do adjunct stuff. Um, and I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this. So I was doing surveillance and doing adjunct stuff. Then this job opened up, up at UNLV at the center, and I applied, not thinking I had a chance of getting an interview. And they interviewed me, and then they ended up making me a job offer. And I figured, hey, why not? Right. So I, that's how I ended up there. It's, it's pretty incredible. All right. Now, what exactly is your job at UNLV other than being a teacher? Okay. I And the teaching thing is kind of is on the side. My main gig is running the center, which a lot of it's administrative. So we have a fellowship program where we basically give people, people in academia, so mostly graduate students and faculty, mm-hmm. money to come to Las Vegas to use our collections and publish papers and do research, which is pretty great. We have a pretty robust speaker series and events that we do. Oh, so yes. for example, we just had an event with former governor Bob Miller. We've got about three more events in the spring semester scheduled. We also have six different fellows coming in. So we've got a total of nine events mm-hmm. in the spring from January through June. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be pretty exciting. We do that. Also, this pretty big website, gaming.unlv.edu, where I have all the gambling nerd statistics and stuff. Oh, I love that site so much. So, yeah, I mean, we've got, and that's, again, you see this. The, the cool thing about that is when I started doing it, it was like, eh, you know, I'm just going to put this up here because I get questions from the media about, well, how has slot win changed in the last three years? And I'd have to do the research. Mm-hmm. So after a while, I'm like, well, if I'm doing the research anyway, I might as well post it online so anybody can see it. So, you know, just like that Sun article, people are just using it as a resource. So right, right. we do that. We have this huge collection of books and material going back to the 17th century mm-hmm. you know, all the way up to today. So really a lot of, if you want to study gambling, it's a good place for that. It's so, so cool. That's, that's pretty much what I do. And so I, know, I, I don't know if a lot of people know about this, but you put out a, a podcast for UNLV, and it is one of my favorite podcasts, if only because it's like having a conversation with you. I'm listening to things that, I mean, well, let me re-clarify this. Most of that shit is way over my head, but I am enthralled by the concept of something that gambling in Vegas has just been like a dirty secret for the longest time, and it's so energizing to me to hear people intellectually break every single nuance of, of the entire concept of Vegas and gambling and study it. It is absolutely fascinating. We're, we're totally putting a link on the blog with this week's show. If you haven't heard it, you've got to listen to it. If you think that you're, you're great or you're really smart or do anything like it, listen to this shit. These people will put you in your place. It's remarkably entertaining. I love it so much. Yeah, I mean, I learn stuff every time somebody comes in. It's really humbling for me. Like, well, hey, here I'm sitting in this collection, and this person was just here for two or three weeks and mm-hmm. took it in a totally different direction that I never could have imagined. So it's, it's, really, it's really great to have them come in and do that. And that's that's pretty much what I do. So it's a mix of administrative. Also, another thing I do is I, uh, I'm the gaming and hospitality editor for Vegas 7 Magazine. Mm-hmm. So I write a lot for them. I've got the Greenfelt Journal, and I also have a bunch of feature pieces. Uh, one that's going to be coming out soon is going to be it's going to be very exciting. You and know, it's going to be kind of in line with the TwitPick that we talked about. Nice. So, You know, I don't think I ever told you this. You, this is, once again, that now we're on me somehow, but... Um, <laughs> When I was a kid in, in high school, one of, the, one of the first, I guess, talents that I was told that I had was apparently I was a writer. Uh, like, I remember, I remember my English teacher in freshman year was like, you know, I could get you scholarships, you know, to go to college to, to write. And I don't know if it was the rebellious side of me or something, but I'm like, oh, I, I write about things I care about, and I'm not going to bastardize that for any kind of thing like this. So for some reason, it got buried for years. Like, I just never thought much about it. I never really pursued any of it. And you 
helped me at some point to realize these goofy little monologues I write for Twit Pick of the Week, the reviews that I do, and of course, Vintage Vegas. It's, it's me finally returning to writing. Whatever talent I had or have or whatever it is that you kind of helped me to realize, like going, you can still do this and, and it's not, you're not bastardizing it, you're not trivializing it, you're, you can express yourself in a creative way writing and you helped me to do that. The first time you and I actually talked helped me to, to realize, I'm like, you know, this is what you're doing. These goofy, you know, how you like to come up with these big grand monologues about all these things, that's you <laughs> expressing yourself. You know, I can't thank you enough. This show has been a, ridiculous creative outlet for me when I when I started it and I, I've said this on the show before when I started this this show I was really frustrated with work and I wanted to try something new and I thought look I could I could create this great podcast and it'll become a it'll become a job and and then I can I can stop doing the things that I don't want to do and what I learned is that it was more than that it, it was all the frustration that I felt in my professional life was because I wanted to to do more I wanted to be able to to I, know, I guess create something and and what I learned quickly is that with this show I there's no rules I, I do whatever it is that I want you know in my professional career I have to do what you know people tell me to do I have to create things you know based on what it is that they want whereas with this I do whatever I want and once I kind of reach that divide uh, I just said I, well this is this is my complete creative outlet I can continue to work a job that I don't love because all of that creative energy is now funneled right into this and I I don't think I've ever actually properly thanked you for doing that, whether you realized you did it or not. Well, thanks. You're thanks welcome. for telling me. I really appreciate that. It's it's really validating to hear that that uh, it's actually uh, it's actually helping. So great, thanks. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know um, it's it's just and uh, you know for me the writing is the Vegas seven writing is so important to what I do because being in academia you're really kind of walled off from the rest of society mm-hmm. and so you write a 10,000 word article that six people read and does it really change anybody's life does it make a difference does it make people happy does it make them think not really not really you know it doesn't you know maybe if you're doing we're in a lot of that's the you know the humanities versus something like the sciences so you know yeah if you're in the hard sciences if you're in biology and you discover some gene that can cure cancer or something like that you know yes you're making a huge difference to the world but if you're just talking about theoretical things in history eh, probably probably not so much so it's really great to be able to have a forum in vegas 7 where i can write about stuff that people care about Mm -hmm. and have people read it and have people think about it and say huh you know this this means something so it's very rewarding yeah oh yeah absolutely now every quarter we hear about another operator losing millions and millions of dollars are these casinos all going bankrupt, or is gambling becoming the loss leader? We kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier in the show. What do you, what do you? I mean, you see this stuff right, uh, right in hand. I don't understand how, at this point, I mean, I would say this year Caesars has lost, or in the last, last year Caesars lost like five hundred million dollars. Like, how is that possible that they're still in business? It's a bunch of strategic errors. You know, it just goes to people gambling and making the wrong decision, which is really ironic. And this is something I've learned since writing Grandissimo and kind of since thinking about that. Jay Sarno wouldn't be able to get a job in the casino business today because he's a gambler, because mm-hmm. he's kind of a degenerate gambler. Yep, yep. They would never let him anywhere near the executive suite. But he never did anything as reckless as building up $23 billion in debt right. on a public company. 
So it's kind of funny that they say, well, I'm not a gambler. You know, it's like people say, I'm not a gambler. I just buy lottery tickets, but I'm not a gambler. It's like the same thing. It's like, well, you're buying $500 in scratchers. You know, you're a gambler. Oh, no, I don't gamble. Just lottery. <laughs> and it helps the schools. It's like a drinker well, criticizing a smoker. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a gambler. I just, you know, I'm just assuming debt in the hopes of the future performance will offset the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, uh, the expense there. That's not gambling. That's rational. Yeah. So it's they, they've just made a bunch of bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, they, they bet too much on growth. And they got, you know, they basically got got bitten by the gambling bug. You know, same that anybody anybody who ends up putting more money into a slot machine than they wanted to. Same exact phenomenon. You know, they saw everyone else around them was getting rich. Hey, we can do it too. Kirk Kerkorian's building up this big land bank in Vegas. We can do it too. Let's buy every casino we can. Right. So it's the same thing. Same thing. But I mean, I, I just don't, I don't know where that money comes from. How, I mean, obviously the debt makes sense because they're borrowing money to purchase these things. But I mean, are, are they really just increasing that debt? Are they getting loans to pay to run this place if they're losing, you know, 60 million, you know, per quarter? Or, or is this just they're losing that in gaming? I mean, when well, you report those... It's not the gaming. It's the fact that they're, that they're having to make cutbacks. So last year to make it look good, well, we found $300 million in savings through cutting employment. Mm -hmm. So that means that you've got to wait longer to get to your room. So people are like, well, I'm not staying there again. I was, right. I was waiting in line for an hour and 20 minutes. I'm not coming back. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's, it's a vicious cycle. Very vicious cycle there where you're just trying to cut expenses and you're never in, in the casino business. You're not going to cut your way to prosperity. Not going to oh, happen no, in that no, business. You're absolutely right. You need to have more people there. It's a, it's a hot, and this is what I always tell people. It's a hospitality business. Yes. They don't have to be there. Exactly. So you need to have more customer contact. All right, you brought up the book. We have to talk about the book. For those of you that don't know, Grandissimo is the book that Dave just recently put out. It's the story of Jay Sarno, the guy who came up with the idea and built Caesar's Palace and Circus Circus. I cannot recommend this book enough. I consider it to be one of the best available regarding Vegas history. I think it's right up there with Super Casino, Winner Takes All, Forgotten Man. It's well-paced. It's a fantastic narrative. And... Let's be honest, he's kind of the first Steve Wynn in a lot of ways. Now, a couple of things that I thought were absolutely fascinating, and I can't wait to hear more about this. I didn't realize how quickly things went downhill for him at Caesars. I mean, it was almost on day one. I mean, I knew, the, I knew about the FBI coming down on him for his affiliation with a couple of undesirables, but I always kind of thought that it was part of the whole grand mob buyout that the FBI and... Bobby Kennedy were kind of doing, just systematically attacking each property, finding out who they didn't want in there, and then, you know, Howard Hughes would sweep in and, and purchase uh, <laughs> the, the availables. I, I had no idea. Day one. Day one. Yeah, that was, Caesars was, you know, the leadership triumvirate there was kind of destined to fail. They just couldn't, it was three guys who just couldn't get along. Mm -hmm. Each of them, it was Sarno with the idea, Nate Jacobson who got the money, and Jerry Zarowitz was running the casino. Mm -hmm. You know, Nate Jacobson was a Baltimore insurance guy who was also a, a huge gambler, also a problem gambler like Jay, and, you know, got pretty much, he's in his office in Baltimore, some crazy guy comes in and says, hey, I want to build a casino, can you get the money? Yeah, I'll get you the money, but I want to be the, the company president. Okay, you know, let's move out to Vegas and, and do this. Uh, Zarowitz is the guy, he's the former Miami bookmaker who's in charge of running the casino, who's not... You know, basically not a if you if you just think about what it took to be a quote unquote bookmaker in Miami, mm -hmm. you know, back in the 40s and 50s, you know, this is a pretty tough guy. Right. You know, so he's running with a lot of mob guys. 
not the kind of guy that you really want to screw around with. Right. So the three of them just could not get along. That was so all. fascinating. You're talking about three. I mean, you we're talking about three people who couldn't be more polar opposites than one another. I mean, just the, the, the constant conflict in the book of Jay doing what he's doing and steering clear of Zarowitz because the man just hate it's like literally drew the line in front of Jay like going yeah. just stay out of my way is what it boils down to I can't imagine coming up with a concept to build this and going you know what just do your shit over there and stay the hell out of my way <laughs> yeah like, they just couldn't I, get I you know that's, this idea. that's what happened that's and that awesome. that is what, like the best I, I saw that that in the world history interview I'm like man and that was the particular thing you're talking about has to do with the casino carpet like, yes. this is the best casino carpet observation ever. Yes, yes. And it's like, man, and you just think, and the thing, you know, Sarno himself was best friends with Jimmy Hoffa. Yes. So he, it's not like Sarno was some wimp or something. Right. I mean, he was, he was in some pretty tough circles, but even he's like, mm, you know, I'm just going to stay away from Zarowitz because <laughs> right. Jimmy's not going to help me with him. So, yeah, it was a, it was, it was a real, real scene there. Just, just really wild. And I wanted to get that across to people. What, oh, you know, how, how different it was from what you would find today. I can't imagine. Just the most hostile work environment you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just really, and the, you know, plus him being the problem gambler. And yes. Just uh, wild, wild. All right. Something else that I didn't know is that Jay did actually think of Circus Circus as being a family property. I had always known about the adult-oriented Midway games and the other sexy flares that, that he had done and always took that to be insinuations, or not insinuations, to be proof that this was not intended to be a family-friendly property from the start, but it actually was. How the hell did Jay think that, that half-nude or nude women in a Midway game was somehow family-friendly and acceptable? It's, this is a guy with no boundaries. <laughs> So, you know, when basically what the guy does is he's going to get up, he's going to play with his kids, he's going to go into work, he's going to pick up some blonde cocktail waitress, you know, take her up to a room, he's going to go out to dinner with his wife, you know, send the wife back home, and then go out and gamble and lose 50 grand. I mean, that's kind of his life at that point. Mm -hmm. So there's no boundaries at all, and there's no hypocrisy. And he's saying, well, you know, his, his basic thought was, well, I love scantily clad women, I like gambling, I like lots of food, I've got kids, and I want my kids to be around me when I'm, when I'm doing this, so I won't everybody else. Right. So that was just his, it's kind of, it's, Circus Circus is really a look into his id, you know, into the dark side. There. <laughs> it's, it's incredible, great. it's just wild. And, you know, what, what I've said before is that if you watch the film clip uh, in uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and it's like, wow, that's so trippy. I mean, the reality was even weirder. Yes. And there's one section where I have Jay actually narrating to one of the newspapers what people will see when they come into Circus Circus, and it's just wild. <laughs> it's like, how is this guy not in an institution somewhere? Right. You know, hey, got this uh, people diving in the net. A guy, you know, a man jumps into a sponge, and then a Highland marching band comes by, and then we've got the the uh, the monkey who buys you who you buy stuff from in a store, and. It's like, whoa, how could you? It's just incredible, the creativity to even think of this. Right. And then they actually get executed. Yes, yes. That's what I mean. Like, so many people will look at Circus Circus now and not, it's not the Circus Circus that Jay had created. I mean, his was really kind of an acid montage in a movie concept of a casino where you literally had elephants wandering around and pulling slot machines. I mean, these things were all real. I mean, I, I think it was Howard Hughes said that what terrified him about Vegas was Circus Circus and the concept of live animals wandering around the area. Absolutely horrified him. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, this would make anybody's OCD go off. It's right. like everything kind of swirled together and, ah, you know, and animals and, you know, animals crapping all over the place. And, I just, yeah, just like no sane person would have would have gotten this executed, but he was able to. So really, he, he's the visionary of Vegas. And to me, he's the guy who steered Vegas away from the, you know, value Mm-hmm. model and like oh well you can gamble here and you can't do anything else which is great it's like it used to be that Vegas is a city where you could do what you couldn't do anywhere else right he made it into well Vegas it's a city where you can do stuff that you would never dream that you wanted to do but you really want to do it I totally agree with you I I, I, I 100% credit Jay with at least the foundational inspiration for Paris Bellagio Mirage Venetian anything that is anything other than just a building any like when that all of them because even you know people don't want to want to say that themes are dead listen bellagio is a theme you know mm-hmm. win and encore they are themes it's luxury is the theme you know but all of those were started with jay this this concept of this otherworldly experience is one of the things i adore about vegas is you know you're having a great time in in venice and you're like, ah, let's, you know, let's head over to the Caribbean. You know, we'll go over to uh, run over to the Mirage. Just, it's not like an amusement park where you can go to it all the time. And you have fun riding the rides, but the ride doesn't change. Whereas when you go to Vegas, you can do the same things you did the last time you were there. And the experience is different. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know any other place that that happens. Yeah. And the, to me, that's, that's all Jay's influence. You know, because it was successful, people followed him. Yeah. And, you know, you look at what, what else is around there. You contrast Caesar's Palace to the Aladdin, the original Aladdin, yeah, which yeah, was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, okay, it's there. Mm-hmm. And they had cheap shows and cheap cheap food and stuff. And with International, which like, hey, International was big. They had a lot of really neat stuff. They had Elvis, but it wasn't the same. Right. Like, wow, I'm here. You know, this is incredible, you know. Yep. So to me, that's that's the whole thing. And it's just, it's it's still so resonant. And I think it's still the kind of person that you need in Las Vegas just to say, hey, this is what it should be. Yes. It's one of the first conversations you and I ever had when we when we first met when I started to show up is that people like Billy Wilkerson and Jay Sarno mm-hmm. are, are, you know, people like you and I who, who love Vegas history. It's like you look around and you see what these what these men created, like how it's influenced everything else. You're like, how do you not know who these people are? And I just day one, you know, when you you brought up that you were writing Jay, I, just immediately I'm like, holy shit, somebody's gonna do Jay Sarno. Oh my god, I cannot wait. I wanted, I, I, Dave, I won't lie to you, I wanted my hands on that book the moment <laughs> I met you. I'm like, how can I charm this man into letting me get this script? <laughs> but it's totally worth the wait. Fantastic. You know, one thing I want to tell people is it's not textbook kind of read. No, I I wrote it be almost novelistic like a novel and it's really you know the book starts you're at the fountain blue you're you're with jay and you meet the woman of your dreams and you get her to marry you in five days and it's kind of from there i'm trying to put you in jay's shoes see what he sees so it's really it's really a different kind of book so the the other thing that i think that i want people to know is that i made a great effort to make it very affordable for people Mm -hmm. ebook version is less than six dollars that's mind-blowing to me yeah, so if you, you know, I think if you like Vegas, it's I, I would appreciate the, the six bucks of which uh, Kindle or or iTunes or whoever keeps about two and a half. So, <laughs> you know, if, if you would see, uh, consider it like a tip. Yeah. <laughs> so if you could uh, give me that, that 350 tote, that would be great. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, not to suck your dick, Dave, 
but I'm, I'm going to right now. I think it might be okay, one of the best books. Okay, let me get my wife. <laughs> I think it might be one of the best books you've ever written. I mean, it, it's the pacing in it is fantastic. The narrative is is crystal clear. I was in Jay's shoes in that. Like I was at the Fountain Blue. Some of the best comments I've gotten from people have said, "Well, hey, I couldn't put it down." You know, I really like that because it's like, well, if people are saying that, then that means that I succeeded in doing what I wanted to do, it's which is write something that people actually wanted to read. Oops. It's something you know, a book like Roll the Bones is very interesting, mm -hmm. and a lot of people buy it, but a lot of people say, "Well, I started reading it and I haven't gotten through it yet." And I realized it's a different kind of book. It's trying to take several thousand years of history and compress it into 400 pages. You know, so it's not going to be the kind of page turner book like this. And I wanted to write a book like that. Right. That people would say, you know, this was a story that you're telling that I'm fascinated by. So right. I hope people like it on that level. Well, and that's a great point that you just you just said that because that's that's a more accurate statement. I wouldn't say that this is the best book you've ever written. This is a completely different book than you've ever written before. This is a story about a guy. Whereas you know your other books are, are fantastic reads. I I mean, I, I don't want to sully any of them, but yeah, no. it, you're absolutely right. It's, this it's is a, different than anything you've written before. It's a different thing. It's not an academic monograph, you know, so it's not where, where I'm writing for historians or something mm -hmm. where people, professors, you know, I basically wrote this book for people who love Vegas. Mm -hmm. So if you love Vegas, the book, book is for you. And if you are just curious about, like, hey, who's this guy? And, you know, the stuff that I learned about him in researching the book was wild. Mm -hmm. You know, just every, like the IRS trial and Oscar Goodman and Evil Knievel and all, all this Evil stuff Knievel was just, thing, you know. I no idea. And to me, you know, this guy, for a lot of guys, he led the dream life. So, like, so his best friend is Evil Knievel. <laughs> he's in a James Bond movie. And he's got tons of money, gambles all the time sleeps with all these women yeah you know for a lot of guys that's kind of the dream life so it's very interesting that he led that life and enjoyed himself a lot all right up until the end right right and that's something that's just a, a side tangent karen and i are huge bond fans and, and just i mean we, we've seen diamonds are forever i mean it's got to be at least a dozen times and, and just to know that jay is in that movie with a speaking role and not just some throwaway he's got kind of a monologue in the movie <laughs> It's yeah. so, so cool. I'm not going to ruin it where it's at in the movie. you got to buy the book to find that out. This is just one of the many cool things in this book. That was so awesome. Like, I, I remember, I, I'm, I bullshit you not, Dave, when I was reading that part of the book, I stopped, immediately put it down, went to Diamonds Are Forever, <laughs> pulled it up. I'm like, holy, Karen, Karen, that's fucking Jay Sarno. <laughs> It's wild, and it just shows you, you know, when you've got brass balls and don't take no for an answer, yep. that's what you get. You know, you end up in a Bond movie. You know, you end up with a casino. You know, it's <laughs> it's just it's just wild. It's just really wild. All right, so I got some some questions about. I want to get your opinion on some of these things. Now, in your opinion, if Jay would have been allowed to run Caesar's Palace his way, do you think he would have stayed with it, or would he have always been a lot like Steve Wynn? always more interested in the next project and getting involved in with it in every detail possible. Do you think he would have done that or would Jay not just go into the next project, but would he run Caesars into the ground? He probably would have run it into the ground, but he was already expanding it so that the second tower that they added, he had planned that. And there's actually a, a, a whole, the, the top floor, he had a whole suite where he was going to live with his family. Yes, that was. So I saw the blueprint. I saw the blueprints, and it's like, oh, baby's room. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's like, okay, well, this is where you know, this is the master bedroom, and it had the names of his kids. You know, 
here's JC's room, here, you know, here's September's room, here's Freddie's room, here's the baby's room. It's it's wild. It's like, whoa. Right. So it just shows how even then he had that kind of bleed over from, you know, like I've never, at UNLV, I've never said, well, hey, we need to expand and I want to have a, a wing for my family to live in here right. <laughs> in, in the library. It's, it's like wild. Like just, but you know, hey, he's like, I like being at the casino. I like being in the action. Yeah, this would be a great place to raise my family, right? right? You know, on the top floor of Caesar's Palace. This is literally a guy who just thought to himself going, what do I think would be interesting? Well, let's build it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's the exact opposite of the approach in the, in the industry today. You know, today it's a lot of people making the decisions like, well, do you like this? Well, no, but the focus groups show that this is good. <laughs> like, well, you know, are the focus groups, can you really have passion for that? Right. <laughs> so at least, Jay, everything he did, he had passion for. And he said, well, this is what I like. I'm a big gambler. I like this. Right. So other people are going to like it. And a lot of people did. Yeah, right. So yeah. that, that just goes to show. All right. Now, an idea that really captured my imagination, which you didn't specifically state, but I kind of drew upon it for inspiration, is the idea of Jay Sarno's Grandissimo project influencing Steve Wynn's concept for the Mirage. Now, that idea to me makes the linear timeline of Vegas that I've in my own mind build in that quest for knowledge with that information, whether it's accurate or not. I, I understand the progression of Vegas, totally. El Rancho to Cosmopolitan, the puzzle's now complete, there's no more missing pieces. What are your thoughts on that theory? Well, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, trying to reconstruct that, I talked to Steve about that, and he said that, yes, they were, you know, they were friends. Uh, he learned a lot from him. All of Jay's kids remembered Steve, you know, coming by and, and spending time with them and spending time with their dad and talking to their dad. So he definitely had that. And one of the most telling things that Steve said in the interview was that when he got the first model for the hotel tower at the Golden Nugget, he showed it to Jay, and he said he just saw something in Jay's eyes where he, Jay finally respected him. Wow. And said, huh, you know, and that was kind of, and the fact that it's 30 years later, 40 years later, and he's talking to me about this as a big deal really says something. Right, right. To me, so I think there really was that relationship. And if you look at a lot of the ideas, the use of war features, which was huge, yeah, you know, yeah. at Caesar's Palace and has been huge in in uh, Wynn's designs. You know, the a lot of the tricks that he talks about. And one of the few times in the book where I actually kind of broke, not broke character, but I took it out of the narrative and had somebody talk about it was when I had Steve Wynn, because I figure how, how often do you have Steve Wynn breaking down somebody else's work? <laughs> Steve right. Wynn says, yeah, you know, this is how he did it. You know, so I kind of, I'm describing the opening of Caesar's Palace and I kind of step back for a second of Steve Wynn saying like, yeah, this is how he did it and this is why it was so incredible. Mm -hmm. So I figured, well, if somebody who's built billions of dollars worth of this stuff, you know, give him, you know, if you've got, if you've got the quote, put it in there. It was give so him that, great. Give him that voice. What a great, great choice. I, I, I swear, Dave, you really capture the exact concept. Like, I was there with you when you wanted me to be there with Jay doing it. And the same, exactly what you're talking about. Even though I didn't realize it until you just mentioned it, I remember feeling like we're, we're watching what's going on in Jay's life and all of a sudden, you know, you cut away and it's Steve Wynn talking about, it's almost like uh, like how you have director's commentary. Like almost like mm -hmm. you stop the movie and now uh, Steve's talking about, see right here? Now what Jay was doing, we're like going, holy shit, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. And that was something I really struggled with. I didn't know, what well, do I put it in a footnote? Do I, like, I'll just leave it in. I, I respect the readers enough that they'll be able to get it and they, they'll appreciate it. No, and that, I mean, that's another part of the book for me is respecting the reader, 
I'm obviously a lot of the stuff that Jay did is stuff that you're probably not going to approve of if you're into things like monogamy or careful investment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I figure, you know what? These are adults. You know, I'm not writing this for kindergartners right, right. to tell them how to live or something. So. I'm telling a story. You make your own value judgment about what you think of it. You, hopefully, you find something in there that, that you uh, identify with in some level. Now, see, that you led me right into my next question, which is, what is it like to, to do a book like this, a posthumous, a, a, a history of a man, to meet his family, to, to touch history and preserve it? I mean, to your point, I mean, his... I have to imagine it's a unique situation because even when you speak about Jay in a less than complimentary fashion it's very much ipso facto I mean his his family seemed very aware of Jay and his faults and they accepted them they didn't judge them they just stated them and but what is it like to to I mean because obviously there was something about Jay that that drew your your interest and then to meet the people that were actually I mean it's got to be the next best thing to actually talking to Jay about what was going on. Yeah, yeah, you know, it really is. And, you know, for me, it was, first I was like, well, huh, this guy is a major figure in Vegas history, so I want to write a book about him mm -hmm. just to fill in that blank. And then as I was doing the research, I was real, realizing just how incredible he was. Mm -hmm. And like, wow, not only did he build these buildings, but he also was a problem gambler and had all the, you know, basically had such an addictive personality and yet was able to thrive in Las Vegas. So what's that commentary about Las Vegas there in that time? <laughs> also got all these relationships with, with people, you know, like Jimmy Hoffa, and yet he's able to thrive here. You know, while Bobby Kennedy is trying to put him out of business, he's doing great here, right. doing really well. So it's just, to me, that was the fascinating part about it, was kind of getting into what he was like. And it's it's a challenge. When you're writing a book about somebody who is not universally flawless and isn't all of the best qualities you would want to see in a human being uh, rolled up into one, you know, to a lot of people, he was not a nice guy. Right. And I think that's what you find in a lot of creative types. It's very difficult, you know, if you've got any kind of, you know, basically it comes down to he has a vision of what he wants in the world around him and he doesn't see it. Right. And to try to get that, you and can't really be a nice guy and right. kind of go with the flow guy. And there are, there, there's a lot of people I met writing the book who were nice guys. Stanley Nowen, the partner, is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Great guy, but not the star of this story because he, right. you know, Jay had that urge. Right, right. And that drove, him in, that drove him in some crazy ways. See, that's another thing I'll compliment you on because I am head over heels in love with my wife and, and a vicious monogamist. And, and the concept of being that unfaithful to your wife is it's it's normally the kind of thing like like there are movies that that I won't watch because if that's the primary uh, storyline here about infidelium like I don't really care to see that I, I don't need to see it it's bullshit it happens way too often you're able to tell this story in such a way that I didn't hate Jay Sarno I'm like this is who he was all right it, it's it's almost like in a sense you know I've I've you know, disclose to a lot of our listeners that, you know, I have rage issues, I have ADD, I, I have a I, I'm, I'm very flawed. And it's taken years and therapy and medication and whatnot to get to a point where I'm like, there are things about me that I just accept that that's what they are. This, this is who I am as a person. And 
I have to deal with that. It's something that, you know, if I could change it, you know, and I felt it, it was it was better for me to do, I would do. But it, there are things where I just had to accept I'm going, this is you. You you can you can hate it all you want, but you're not gonna change it. So you might as well just deal with it. And that was kind of what it was like with Jay. It's like the things he did were I mean, there's nothing to you know, you you you're What's the word I'm looking for? It, like it degenerate, you know. You, you just look mm -hmm. at him like going, the things you're doing are absolutely appalling. But it's that's you. What are you gonna? It's almost like he just gave up or or just didn't care. He's like, this is me. I don't care. It makes me happy. This is what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean that's it. And he, you know, you. Can, I, I don't think anybody could argue that he treated his wife very well, you know, from any angle. Right. And I'm not gonna condone that. But at the same time, I'm not gonna write a book judging somebody else's marriage. Yes. You know, it's just not. <laughs> I know, right? It's not my. I find that kind of good advice not to not to delve into other people's lives that way. Right. So it's like, hey, this is what happened. This is what people around him said about it. Um, you know, obviously his wife didn't think so, <laughs> so highly of it, and eventually she divorced him. But right. it's uh, yeah, that that makes it challenging. Yeah. You know, but I guess if it was somebody who was universally universally beloved and uh, such a wonderful figure, it probably wouldn't be such an interesting story. But it is such an interesting theme because at that time he's not the only guy that's ever done that. Because Jay was destroyed when his wife divorced him. I mean, everything went downhill yeah. big time. And the same thing happened with a lot of people who did that. Howard Hughes, an infamous philanderer. And by the time yeah. he was all holed up in the uh, Desert Inn, he was married to a woman who never saw him. You know, and then when she eventually divorced him, that was considered to be the catalyst of what really dropped him into the massive downward spiral that, you know, ended up killing him as well. But it's, it seems like that's a common theme at that time, like super powerful men of like, I don't understand this. I'm giving you all the money and all the great things in the world. I, I don't understand why there's a problem here. And it's like, well, those things aren't important. It's the one thing that's important that you're not doing, but it does seem to be a, yeah. common, a common theme in, in that era. It's a whole, it's a whole, yeah. I mean, it, it, a lot of it is that era. It's very kind of Mad Men type uh, right. vibe at some point. It's, it's, so it's, yeah. But it's kind of like everything else. You know, he took the things that other people did to a small degree and just magnified them until yes. they were grotesque. So like, <laughs> so another guy is going to play grab ass with the secretary at the Christmas party. You know, he's going to try to bang every cocktail waitress he needs. <laughs> and give them fur coats. It's like, you know, other guys might bet a little, you know, gamble a little bit too much. When they come to Vegas once a year, he's going to gamble a hundred grand a day. You well, know, he even says something like that in the book, like when his wife's getting pissed, like about him buying Cadillacs or furs or something for ladies. And yeah. he's like, what are you talking about? I bought you, th like, this thing is yeah. better than what I bought them. Like, that doesn't justify it, Jay. Yeah, but it's wild. <laughs> but he just takes everything and kind of just inflates it until it's, all, you know, almost completely bizarre that, you know, wow, you know, this somebody's actually doing this and they're doing it seriously and not ironically, it's some kind of social commentary. So it's really, it's, it's a fascinating life to chronicle from that aspect because he just, just takes everything and magnifies it. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is the soundtrack. That was amazing, Dave. I've never, I, I, I said something, I think on a past show where my wife went through as many females did, went through a twilight phase where, mm -hmm. you know, they couldn't get enough of it. And apparently Stephanie Meyer, the writer, had music in mind while she was doing it. So I was never into any of that, didn't know. Karen was, and went through a period where she was obsessed with this music that the writer had connected to it. And I just didn't get it. And then you would put your thing out, completely got it. <laughs> I mean, the music, I don't, where the hell 
did you come up with such a diverse collection of songs? You have a song that's all in Italian, is it not? How did you even know that song yeah. existed? Pretty much what I did for this was I had a couple of songs that I thought about. That first song, the Music to Watch Girls, but I had heard that song and I'm like saying, hey, this is, to me, this is that opening scene of him at the pool there. From there, a lot of it was a mix of songs that were in the top 10 at the time that the events in the, in the book were happening. So for example, when he has the thing where he leaves his wife at Windsor and then comes back, that's where Tears in My Pillow and Who's Sorry Now comes in. And then the moment when they finally get back together, you've got Valare, which people are probably familiar with the Dean Martin version. But this version was actually on the charts at the time. So this is basically, that section is as Jay's driving back to get his fiance, this is the music he would have heard on the radio if he had turned the radio on. Um, the other cool thing was getting the Robert Goulet of uh, the impossible dream. And this is, you know, this is absolutely true. So first time Jay came to, to Vegas was Robert Goulet's first weekend appearing there. They were his guests. Goulet came down and I think had dinner with them and hung out with them. So he would have heard, and this was right after Camelot, and this was Goulet's, you know, as he was making that transition from Broadway to Vegas. And Without a doubt, that would have been one of the songs that Robert Goulet was singing. So I just pictured him sitting in the showroom in the Flamingo, <laughs> hearing Goulet singing this, you know, the impossible dream and being inspired to like, hey, I can build this building here. The concept you had with, the, uh, I saw the montages through the music. I saw him building Caesars with the collection of song you had with, with the montages. I saw his, his marriage falling apart with the collection of song you had for the montage. It was fantastic. How did you have such a, I mean, do you really have that advanced of, of a musical palette or, or how did you stumble upon these songs? It's going through, you know, it's basically going through and saying, well, hey, what's, you know, what's in the top 100 in this year, you know, in 1974. And like, okay, well, this song kind of fits in with it and kind of listening. Some of them I just threw in because they're songs I really liked. So, you um, like I think Magic by Pilot is just one of my favorite songs and it kind of fits into that. That's the song you're supposed to hear after his court troubles are over. I won't spoil that scene, but that's kind of in there. And then it's so clever. It's kind of cool. So the much that I enjoyed the book so much that once I, I finished reading it, I, I'm already planning to start reading it and go along and just have the music playing on repeat while I'm reading whatever it is that I'm supposed to be reading. It's so good, Dave. <laughs> the favorite, th the three that I really like are the last three songs. Mm -hmm. So for his last scene in the suite at Caesars, Girl Gone Bad. Yes. It's absolutely, to me, like that. And again, like, I don't think he was listening to 1984 by Van Halen. <laughs> right. That was out then. So it's like, well, you know, I guess a uh, woman could have listened to it. Maybe. I don't know. But like that song, but it's just, just, I wanted to capture, I wanted to go from the first, the, music to watch girls by what's kind of this cool swinging carefree thing to just right. that sort of grungy desperate like ooh, <laughs> you know this isn't turning out well well it's it's and so then, many things in vegas happen like that like you see them yeah. in their glory days and then you go into another decade that that's a completely different you know you move from 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 disco to to 80s glam rock kind of thing and it looks so in so many movies casino is a great example of it where as you see that transition and their whole world is falling apart, you can see how how well they don't fit into the fashion that they're trying to fit into. And it's you did a great job with that in that mute, very specifically in the music that you pick. Because you're absolutely right. Like you think of Van Halen and Jay Sarno, like, there's no way that guy ever heard that. You know, but yeah. it fits so well. It's like this is the world he is in right now. And he fits as well. 
as Van Halen's Girl Gone Bad in what's going on right now. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. So and then the last the last two songs, really, if, if they ever make a movie of this and I had any kind of creative input, that would be the credits music. To me, the last shot of the movie is panning back from the ambulance onto the fountains at Caesar's Palace, fade to black, and then hit Richie Havens doing it was a very good year. Yes. Credits roll. Oh, it's so good. What are the odds? What are the odds of this becoming a movie? I mean, I know everybody who writes yeah. books, you know, have the, you know, the great dream is to become a movie. Is this anywhere closer to becoming a movie or is it still just in know. the dream stage? I've got a lot of steps I'd have to take. You know, it, it does take a really long time so I wouldn't, you know, basically, if I, you know, if somebody took an option on it, probably it might be out in like 2022 or something. Right. The next right. day. It, it takes a really long time, so I'm not really investing a lot of time in it. You know, if anybody's in the business, I'd, I'd love to talk. No shit, I'm totally not I've got a lot of other stuff I'm working on now, so I'm not. I don't know, but it'd be, it'd be really, really neat. That'd be really neat. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fantastic book. Now, the last thing I want to ask you, and it's it's very common for writers who just released a book and start promoting it, and you know they're going through interviews or whatever. And the, the last thing you hear is always, "What's next?" But I'm not going to do that because I appreciate the effort and the time that it takes to create something this good. And I think you should be allowed to enjoy every nuance of of its success without having people look right past it, you know, looking at what it is you're going to do next. But what I am interested in is your opinion on one specific person, mm -hmm. Kirk Kerkorian. He's another Vegas icon that is in his early 90s. Have, well, first of all, have you ever met him? Have you ever spoke with him? I've talked to him on the phone. Have you? Yeah, this is really one. And this is where the details about the relationship between him and Jay came directly from him. Really? And this is this is something that taught me a lot. So this was back a year that I was also teaching some classes up at Reno. So I was basically in Reno one night, one day a week. And I had reached out to his office and just said, uh, I'd like to talk to Mr. Krikorian. I'm writing a book about Jay Sarno. I will only talk to him about Jay Sarno. I'm not going to talk to him about his current business or anything like that. I'm not going to talk to him about anything else. And I was amazed. I got, so that was... I made the call, I think, on Tuesday, got back to the office on Thursday, and I had three messages from, like, Mr. Kokorian's trying to get in touch with you. Mr. Kokorian's trying to get in touch with you again. He wants to talk to you about this. And I thought, wow, you know, if a guy at that level is taking his time to kind of call me back, you know, that's so great. I always try to return phone calls from people, you know, partly because of that. I mean, because it's a nice thing to do, but it's right, just like, right. wow, that he's taking the call time to do this. I, so. I didn't think you were big time in Kokorian. <laughs> It's really, it's really, it was just struck me as really nice. And he was great interview. I know he doesn't do a lot of them, but again, I was respectful of what he wanted. So it was, it was really cool. So I think he's definitely done so much to make Las Vegas the way it is. I think his story is a very different story from Jay. It's not the, you know, it's not this kind of book. Right. It'd be a very different kind of book. Now the question I've got for you though, mm -hmm. is there any way that he's gonna he's gonna pull an E. Perry Thomas and realize? History needs to be preserved. The story needs to be documented. I need to tell my story. He's always been the guy in the shadows, doesn't want... I mean, I know he's already got one book about him, but that book kind of ends when the mm -hmm. original MGM Grand was built. He's done so much since then. Is there any chance that he's going to come around and say, the story needs to be told, it needs to be told, or are we going to have to wait for him to pass on for the people around him to tell us his story? 
I think it would be great if it didn't. I think he's definitely, you know, the fact that he was willing to talk, to take a half hour and talk to me about Jay Sarno shows me that he cares about the past mm -hmm. and is aware of this. So, you know, uh, you've just given me another reason to try to nudge the folks at MGM again to see if we can <laughs> try to make that happen. Which is something, you know, it's something I've kind of been doing sporadically, but it's very difficult. You know, obviously, when you're in the casino business, they're putting out fires every day. So they don't have a lot of time to devote to this, but it is really important. Dave, I cannot thank you enough for joining me this week. You are welcome back anytime. I thank you for all that you do to catalog Vegas history. And of course, thank you for Grandissimo. I cannot recommend this book enough to any of our listeners, especially those that love our vintage Vegas segments. And and I take those, I mean, you and I spoke when for the first time we, we mm -hmm. ever met. We talked about how the entire genesis of this show was Vintage Vegas. And it's mm -hmm. actually been the segment we do the least because it means so much to me that I learn as much as I can possibly learn. And when that segment comes out, it's the best that I can possibly make it. So much that the day I met you, I had already been working on the the one that we eventually released, the How the Mob Came to Vegas. I had already mm -hmm. been working on that for a year, and it took me another year to finish writing it because it meant so much that I read and grasped and comprehended and thought about every possible concept that I could. And I think it's where you and I's friendship kind of, it was the genesis of it. It, it was looking at one guy and, and getting that, you know, you and I have the same kind of concept, like all I want to do is do this story the justice that it deserves. And, and I, I, don't, I don't even know where I rambled. I just, I thought about how awesome that conversation was and I got lost. Well, you know, it, it just shows you that, and I hope people appreciate this, that it takes time to do this right. You know, it's very easy to kind yes. of churn out 20 blog posts a day where you have something like, hey, celebrity sighting here. Mm -hmm. There's not really a lot of content to that. And it's, you know, people will click on it and it's that momentary little, it's kind of like the fast food. It's yes. like, yeah, it's a momentary pleasure, but ultimately it's not going to contribute. Absolutely. Anyway, you know, doing work like that, you know, like you're doing with the Vintage Vegas, it takes a lot of effort, but people really, I think, get a lot out of it and it's sustaining to them in a way that the kind of quick hit stuff isn't. So keep doing it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Now, you can pretty much get Grandissimo anywhere that you can buy a book. Amazon, iBook, Kindle, etc. We will, of course, have a link not only on the blog, but if you're interested in getting it and you're enjoying the Enhanced Podcast, all you need to do is touch the title displayed on the chapter picture, and your web-enabled smartphone will take you directly to where you can buy it on Amazon. Dave, where else can you get this thing? What else would you like to tell people about? You have given so much of your time. Please, what, what else can we do for you? Okay, here it is. Only $5.99 ebook. It's in uh, Kindle, Nook, iBook, and Kobo. So it's in all those platforms. Mm -hmm. Get it there. Um, the paperback is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Also available at the Gambler's Book Store slash Club. I never get that one right. <laughs> so also available there, Gambler's Book Club. And in person, you can get copies of the Mob Museum in Vegas and the Gambler's Book Club in Vegas. So it's available everywhere. If you've read the book, I, I would really appreciate it if you could give me a review on Amazon. It's really great. That really helps a lot. I Dave, don't the, have a big publishing house behind me. I don't have a huge marketing budget, so that word of mouth really helps. Dave, you're the first Amazon review I've ever done. Like, it never even cool. comprehended to me to do something like that. And you asked them, like, Oh Jesus! Of course I should. Yes. <laughs> like oh. I appreciate that, and that you know that means a lot because you know, 
it lets other people know that, hey, this is a decent book. And again, it's, it's something I would really appreciate it. And it means a lot to me to read those and know that people are getting something out of the book yes. and enjoy it, Absolutely. genuinely enjoy it. So that, that's, that's pretty much what I would say. Yeah. You've got, is it, is it coming up? You've got something going on at the Mob Museum, right? Yeah, I've some more excitement. If you're in Las Vegas the weekend of December 13th and 14th, so, so if you're here then, one good reason to come is great deals on everything because uh, pretty bad time of the year to own a casino in Vegas, but a great time to get room rates, room rate deals. So that's one good reason. The other good reason is that I'm doing a signing event at the Mob Museum. So if you're a Mob Museum member, admission is free. If you're not, you pay for admission to the museum so you can spend your two or three hours in the museum. Then you can come up and see me give a talk about the book in the courtroom, in the historic courtroom there and also be signing books, and it'll, it'll be really great. So I, I'd love to see a lot of people there for that, because that's going to be a ton of fun. Aren't you doing a reading or something? I'm doing a reading from the book, so I'm going to read a little bit from the book, Dude, and I'm going to talk why about the book. can't I get to Vegas at the time? <laughs> it's, it's wild, and it's, you know, it's kind of funny, because every I realized this after the launch event at VIMP, where I got to do a reading from the book in the, D, in the showroom at the D, and it's like, wow, you know, I, you're in a casino showroom that's filled with people and you're reading from a book that's and amazing. the people are listening to you and they're not leaving. <laughs> so it's, wow. And this is kind of the same thing. It's like, so you're in the historic room where they did the Keefe Offer Committee hearings in Vegas that's back right. in 1950 and you're reading from your work. It's really, it's really cool. And yeah. so I'll be really happy to be there. So I hope everyone else can come down there and, and say hi. Oh, that would be so insanely cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But then again, I, I get obsessed with things like that. I am, I annoyed the shit out of Karen when we went to the mob museum because I would point out things like, the key fire buildings where they were doing it all. She's like, would you shut up? They got the film. I know, but we're actually sitting in the place where they were. <laughs> it is really cool. It is. It, it really is. Grandissimo, I cannot recommend it enough. Thank you so much, Dave. Seriously, come back anytime. Oh, oh, something else. In your Kickstarter campaign, one of the top perks was a guided tour of Caesar's Palace. Can you give me just a general idea of what it is that you had in mind? And is there any way I could possibly encourage you to do something like that at, say, I don't know, Vegas Vacation 2? I mean, whenever it is, I decide whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, so basically the tour is me walking around Caesar's Palace with some people and showing them hey, this is where, you know, this is originally where the Bacchanal was, and this is where Circus Maximus was, and kind of walking them through that, and it's kind of cool. I have some of the, I have the original floor plans of Caesars, so it makes for a really interesting tour walking around that you can kind of see what used to be where. So, yeah, that'd be, I'd, I'd uh, love to, to do that with folks sometime. So, yeah, absolutely. That would be amazing. We'll have to talk about that offline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's all I got for you, sir. Why don't you close this out? Okay, so that's it for episode 112. It was my thrill to be here with Mark, and, and thank you so much, Mark, for having me on. This is this has really been great. And thank you for listening and downloading. We both appreciate it. If you'd like to check out any of the stories in today's show, go to the blog at 360vegaspodcast.com. If you'd like to send some feedback, you can do so at 360vegaspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to tell others what you think of us, you can review us on iTunes. We do also read those in the show as well, whether they're good or bad, and... You can find us all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and everywhere, and you can find links to those in the blog as well. So that's it for me. Mark, uh, do you have anything else? Nope. This has been an absolute pleasure, sir. Thank you so much. Same here. Thank you. Awesome. All right. We'll see you all next week.